Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, June 4th. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 23, second full paragraph, once in a while. Today's readers are Katie, Esther, Marsha, Hoodie, and Paula. The reference number for Monday, June 3rd, is 4589. And again, that's 4589. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Melanie to read the 12 steps, please. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie, and I'm a compulsive overeater recovered here in Oregon today. Good morning. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. I will now ask Anne S. to read the 12 traditions, please. Hi, good morning. My name is Anne, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, prestige, or property and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such will never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly to those responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name will never be drawn into public controversy. 
11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Anne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on a topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 23. We're going to start with the second full paragraph, and I will ask Katie to begin reading, please, those second and third paragraphs. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses which wish, with which they are satisfied part of the time. But in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. How true this is, few realize. In a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal. But everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. And so what, where we are is that this is beyond the point of, you know, Aunt Sally looked at me cross-eyed, so I um, ate. This is at the point where you pick up and you have absolutely no idea what, that, what happened in that moment that got you to pick up. You have no power, no choice when it comes to that first bite. And that's where uh, you have to get in order to be willing to do what it takes to work this program. And it's not my willpower, it's the power of God. You have to be so surrendered that you say, I can't do this. Um, and then the second paragraph, I think, really hones in on the fact that it's not up to someone else to save me. It's not the perfect food plan. It's not the perfect sponsor. It's my higher power that's going to um, help me to get to the point where I can surrender and have the capacity to have a pause between my hand picking up that bite and actually shoving it down my throat um, because it's not someone else that's doing that for me. But, you know, thinking that uh, my family is going to understand, they don't understand. They think I've not got enough willpower. Uh, my friends, my employers, all those people who don't have this malady don't understand that strange mental twist. And this is saying that um, you don't have to understand it either. This isn't about figuring out why we eat. That is not the point of this program. The point is to figure out how to stop and to stay stopped. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Press star 1 to unmute your phone. This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula, go ahead. Thank you. I'm going to scoot on to that second paragraph, how true this is, everything they've said in the first paragraph, how true it is. You'd like to not believe that it was true, but there is the facts, and they state them clearly here. 
in a vague way, their families and friends, now they don't have the disease. They don't have the disease. They sense there's something. Well, this isn't right. But they don't know because they're not where we are. So they can't really know. So they keep going on. Well, they'll change eventually. Uh, you know what? They'll grow up. Uh, oh, no. That's what they believe. And you know what? We want to tag along to that. We want to tag. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, Something's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. It will continue day after day after day. The mind will push us. The, the abusive eating or drinking, whatever it is, the way we do, it will continue. But here it is. Everybody. Now, all together here. All together. The alcoholic and the family about the friends. Hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rise himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. They really believe, as he does, that he has a power of will. There is none. Honey, the well is dry. There's no place else to go. And it is ticking. Time is ticking. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Joan? Rose. Um, let's see. I heard Rose, and then who was who else was there? Carolyn Joan. from Carolyn from Massachusetts. Joan from I'm Chicago. Sure. Okay, and Joan was it? Yes. Okay, thank you so much. So we'll start with Carolyn, and then Rose, and then Joan. So for me, I, I want to pick on that that first paragraph. Once in a while, he may tell the truth, and and the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. And for me, that was my dilemma for many years. I just kept picking up and couldn't understand why. My life is good. Everything's going good. Life is wonderful. I have program. Why am I picking up? I couldn't get it. I couldn't understand that. I just didn't give myself over to God 100%. Every time life was good, I turned around and said, okay, God, I got this. I had to be willing to go to any length to keep my abstinence. And in order to do that, God had to be first and foremost in my life. I didn't realize that it was the spiritual part of this program that I truly needed to build on in order for the rest of it to work. If I couldn't do step one 100%, nothing else was going to matter. I could go through the rest of the steps, but they weren't going to mean anything to me because in a very short time, I was going to be back another food. And I knew that because I tried it before. I tried it many times, and it never worked. I had to put God into the, into the mix. He had to be first and foremost. I had to remember all the pain and suffering I went through. Somebody said to me, the way I do it is I remember the end result and not the initial relief. And I thought, that's a good way. Okay, I'll stop there. I'll stop there. So once I put God in the mix and I remembered what the end result was the day after, the pain, the physical pain, the migraines, the nausea, the just being depressed and the shakes and all that horrible stuff. And it got worse every time. Every time it was worse. And I worked on that so that I could work a spiritual-based program. I had to put God first and foremost. I had to truly admit that I was 150% powerless over my disease, over my addiction, and how I hated the way I felt, I hated the way I looked, and I needed to do something about it, and it wasn't going to work if I didn't work it. And that was the bottom line. Just like anything else, you know, you go to school, you study, and you get a degree. You go to school, you don't study, you get nothing. You get thrown out or it costs you a lot of money, but, you know, it's the same for me here. I had to put God first and foremost so that the obsession would be lifted. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Carolyn. Rose, go ahead. 
Rose, can you press star one to unmute your phone, please? Thank you, Christy. I I I, I thought I had. Forgive me. Um, this is uh, Rose, recovered compulsive overeater from New York, and it's the last two sentences of that first paragraph. Uh, there is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. Um, it's the first sentence first. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. And that was entirely my experience from when I actually came into OA um, <clears throat> at 250 pounds. And when I heard the first time that it was a disease and that I was powerless, at that point, I believe in my heart, I thought, this is all I need to know, and I can I can take it from here, sort of. I'm going to be able to handle it from here, sort of, without surrendering to the fact that I am beat. And um, then past the years of pursuing that piece of insanity um, on one piece of self-knowledge that was given to me from the program, and I did pursue it, um, believing I was going to be able to beat it because I did not want to give up that food uh, without realizing I had no ability to give it up because of the allergy to the body and the obsession that um, drove me to eating the way I did. But then uh, talk about how the higher power is persistent and long-suffering and patient and loving and kind. <clears throat> this past a year ago, April, is when I hit my bottom, and that is when the next sentence, but they often suspect they are down for the count. Well, at that point, not only did I suspect I was down for the count, I received a gift of fear that that consumed my entire self and mind, and I knew I was down for the count. And there have been um, a number of people recently that asked, have been asking me specifically what happened. And this sentence here is that I knew I was down for the count. I had no more tricks. I had no more foods in the entire universe that I knew could give me the comfort and security my whole self was screaming for. And at that point, um, unbeknownst to me, the power came in from God that get, got me to pick up a phone and call someone and say, and this was a leveling of my pride with all the background where I said, can you help me? This was a woman abstinent 17 years who had been through the steps. And I said, can you help me? And that opened the door. And here I am to tell you about it. So thank you, Christy. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Joan, go ahead. Joan, can you press star one to unmute your phone, please? Sorry, this is Joan. I thought I was unmuted. I was talking. Um, I, too, loved that sentence about uh, that I had no more idea why I took the first drink or the first bite. Um, because, you know, sometimes, often, probably the 80-20 rule, 80% of the time I know why I, I'm taking that first bite. Oh, I'm mad at my husband. I'm, I'm mad at my mother. I'm this, I'm that. Um, but sometimes I really don't know why I take that bite. And because I'm a compulsive overeater, because I'm a sugar addict. And it, it just really hit me because even when my life is perfect, sometimes I want to eat. And I tell myself, oh, no, this is the promises. This is the promise that's coming true in my life. You don't have to eat. Um, and the other gal that said that there are no 
perfect food plans really hit me. Thank you for saying that because I am always in search for the perfect food plan. And just recently I was talking to a Vision for You member on the phone and I was telling her I have this food plan and that food plan and, you know, my nutritionist food plan. And she said, I don't care about all your food plans. Just pick one and follow it. And um, that's what I'm doing today. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Joan. Would anyone else like to share before we move on? Hi, this is Meg. May I share? Sure, Meg. Go ahead. Thank you. Hello, this is Meg, recovered compulsive overeater in Vermont. I just want to go right down to this word, lethargy. When I think of the word lethargic, I don't have a definition right in front of me, but I know it means to be slow and lazy in in some respect. And that makes me think as if I was on a couch and I was so lazy that I couldn't get up and do anything about my disease. And everyone thought that and I thought that. And then I realized I wasn't just so lazy that I couldn't go and get up off the couch. I was chained to that couch. Mm. And I tried to undo the lock, but I couldn't undo it because I'm not a lock picker and I didn't have the key. I looked it up on the Internet, but I still couldn't pick it. I'm just not that dexterous. (laughs) And then I had my step one And I realized that there is only one that has that key. And that is a power greater than myself. And if I Mm. ask that power to, to, to take that key and unlock me, then I can get up off that couch. And that is the beautiful thing of this program. And that is the wonderful reason that I am standing and not sitting on a couch today. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Meg. Esther, can you go ahead and uh, start reading, please, at the bottom of page 23. Read that next paragraph for us, please. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Esther, a compulsive overeater in Canada. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arise. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it's suspected. So I don't know when I went from being just a person who likes to eat to being a true compulsive overeater. I suspect it was when I was a child, small child, long, long before I knew what this disease was all about. And most of us realize who and what we are long after we've crossed that line from you know, heavy drinker to alcoholic from, you know, just big eater to compulsive overeater. And there's no turning back for us. There's no changing our status, no refunds, no exchanges. And this realization is extremely painful, and we naturally fight it. This paragraph calls it two two times it uses the word tragic, tragic truth and tragic situation. It's painful to learn that I'm bodily and mentally different than normal eaters, and I can't go back to being a normal eater. Um, And it's a real gift if we can learn this truth when we first come into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous because many of us have to sit here for years and years in sort of this low-grade misery, either because we haven't heard this truth or because we're fighting it, believing that we're going to be different than everybody else. It's indeed a tragic situation, but I needed to come to terms with it. I needed to come to the conclusion and believe it with 100% certainty that I was different than... than, um, a normal overeater before I was able to learn of the solution. So if we hang on for just another page or so, we're going to learn about that solution too. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Esther, would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Bracha? I'm sorry? Bracha? Bracha? Bracha, yes. Oh, okay. Bracha, go ahead. Thank you. This is Bracha. I'm a compulsive overeater and sugar addict. Glad to be on this meeting. Um, 
I just it just talked to me because um, I I always was so successful. You know, I I did all this dieting from the time I was 13 up until my 50s, and I joined every club and I was you know miss whoever the club was and I. I was a lecturer, I was a weigher, I, you know, I was a nurse at one of these places. And, and then I came into OA, and I was in denial on and off for 10 years. I grew uh, emotionally, spiritually, I worked the steps. <clears throat> but I always thought, you know, I'm not really like these other people. And then after nine years, I fell off the wagon really bad. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't get it back. I couldn't just say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to be abstinent again. I'm going to go back to meetings and this and that. And I spent about 10 months, and I gained back 20 of the 50-some pounds I had lost, which wasn't my highest when I came into OA, um, in that I was very fortunate. But I, I gained back a first time in nine years that I gained back weight like that and you know, it was like totally I had reached that point where, you know, it, it. I had to admit that I was an addict, that I had a disease, that I couldn't eat refined carbs and sugar. And when I hit that point, God gave me my abstinence back. When I was willing to say, I have to do this, and I'm powerless, and I can't, but God can, then... That's, I got my abstinence back, and thank God, by the grace of God, one day at a time, I've been abstinent for almost six and a half years now, and I'm just so grateful. So that's, that's what that paragraph meant to me, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Brasso. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning. Good morning, vision for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So what are we looking at here? We are looking at the insanity. The insanity. What happens to the mind of a chronic alcoholic? What happens to the mind of a chronic compulsive overeater of my type? Of my type. You know, at at some point, my family... My family, my friends, those who loved me, said maybe, maybe it's going to happen again. You know, there have been other times where it got really bad, but somehow she managed to pull herself up by her bootstraps and she managed to come out of it once more. And they waited. And they waited and they watched. And they hoped that somehow, even though they sensed that I was abnormal, that I was not a regular normal eater that somehow I had a real problem in this area. They awaited the day when once more I would rouse myself from this awful place that I was in and I would assert my willpower and try again. I would assert my willpower and try again. Because they'd seen me do it sometimes. They'd seen me do it. I wasn't very happy while I was doing it. But I would I would manage, I would try really hard and they wanted that for me. They wanted that for me. But I got to the point where my willpower alone could not save me. Could not save me. The tragic truth that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. May not arrive. It couldn't arrive anymore. He had lost control. That was me. That was me. And at a certain point, if you're a compulsive overeater of my type, perhaps you've gotten to that point. Perhaps you recognize that point. Perhaps it's staring you right in the face today that you've reached that certain point where no matter how great the desire or the wish, no matter how powerful that wish, that hope, that desire is in you, you cannot stop. You cannot stop. Because that desire, that hope, that wish, that always used to be what would get me going once again. Trying one more new magazine diet, one more. I'd look at those, those articles in those magazines, the before and afters, and I'd say, I can be her, can't I? I can be her. I want it badly enough. I can be her. But I couldn't. 
but I couldn't. I'd reached that point. And once you reach that point, I got news for you, there's no going back. There's no going back. At least that's the way it worked for me. If you're a compulsive overeater like me, maybe it's staring you right in the face. And you can't ignore it and you can't deny it because it's right there, the truth, the truth. And this tragic situation, it says, has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. Before I could see it, other people could see it. They're going, oh, no, oh, no, she can't do it anymore. And I had to get to exactly this point. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to share in this paragraph? Hi, can I share? Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, This is Esti, Compulsive Overeater. Very grateful for this meeting and for its message and for everyone's share. And the lines that spoke about um, that there comes a day when the willpower just is not there anymore um, really reminds me of who I am because I've been in program for over eight years. It's going to be almost nine years and I've kept down all the weight I've lost, and I just keep slipping. And in my mind, my, my brain tells me, it's okay, I'll get back tomorrow morning, it's okay. I'm not like those people who slip and uh, 50 pounds call, come crawling back up. I'm okay, I'm okay. And what's the big deal? I'll just get back on tomorrow. And I've come to a point where I realize that that's a lie, that's not true, because... Um, I think the the part of my mind that tells me I'm okay, I'll get back tomorrow and then I'll stay there forever that just doesn't happen because then after two weeks or three weeks or more or less um, I can tell myself that same thing again so currently I'm at a point where I hope with God's help to be able to fight that voice when it comes in and tells me just pick up now and you get right back on tomorrow morning, no, I can't do that Um, um, I belong here. I'm one of these people. I need to do this no matter what every single day. And I can't let up because if I let up, then, you know, whether it's the scale that's going to show me, whether it's the insanity that happens in my life in other areas around, you know, my home, my children, my husband, um, other people, um, or whatever it is, I just, I'll just, it's, it's just being shown to me black and white that, this is a program I need if I want to stay sane. Um, so thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Esty. Leah, go ahead. Leah, can you press star one to unmute, please? Thank you so much, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The big book uh, is bearing the the truth, the bad news for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater. It says the tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, uh, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. Yeah, I don't know when I crossed that invisible line, you know, uh, the chains of compulsive overeating were too soft to be felt until they were much too hard to be broken. Um, you know, it started off as just some fun, uh, excessive eating. You know, it went from not wanting to stop binging because it was just a great escape and it was just too much fun uh, to not being able to stop due to the obsession of the mind. You know, it says that at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. I mean, I had the desire. <laughs> I wanted out of this hell. I mean, hell was getting hotter by the day. I, I had the wish to stop. I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but, uh, you know, I, I had a good memory. I got through uh, school, graduated early, got into an Ivy League college. Uh, You know, I I had a good memory. 
But when it came to the disease of compulsive overeating, my pain had no memory. My suffering had no memory whatsoever. You know, the tears that I shed the night before, uh, you know, the uh, despair, the threats of divorce, the the uh, lack of accountability and the irresponsibility that was threading through every facet of my life. Um, you know, I couldn't remember that. All I kept thinking about was the ease and comfort, ease and comfort, ease and comfort. Uh, I had the I had the necessity, you know, family is is perhaps you know speaking about a divorce. My husband's whispering about a divorce. Uh, the medical consequences were increasing. I was a young woman in my early twenties, high cholesterol, inability to run up a flight of steps without being out of breath. Doctors breathing down my neck about uh, my obesity. I had the necessity, I had the wish that was not enough, and no matter what I threw, it says the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. No matter what I threw at this obsession of the mind, it was not sufficient to conquer it. Threw uh, willpower at it, I threw self-knowledge at it, I threw intellect at it, through determination. I'm a highly determined person, a motivated person. I'm, you know, again, not the sharpest blade in the drawer, but I can get things done. But why was it that uh, this insidious nature of this disease, I was within its grip long before its grip was revealed to me. And once the grip was revealed to me, nothing I did, no remedy, no method would release me from its grip. And that is the obsession of the mind. And that is the greater aspect of the disease. And unless I understood that, until I understood that, until I understood that that was my real problem, that I was suffering from a spiritual malady, and until that spiritual malady was overcome, I was not going to win out. Until I understood that that was my real problem, and until I I just uh, knew that no matter what I threw at it, it was not enough defense against that first bite. Then if I didn't know, if I didn't believe that, I didn't believe I had that mental, mental obsession. I didn't believe that there was any reason for the steps. There was no urgency to work these steps if I didn't believe I was who I say I was. It says this tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it was suspected. Again, those chains were wrapped around my neck long before I realized what this book had to say to me. And it wasn't until I was beaten into a bloody pulp that I was ready to throw up my hands and say, you know, I don't know if who, who God is, where he is, if he exists. I don't care, but I am dying here. And you know what? Against all odds, I was supposed to self-destruct. And through the implementation of these steps, we can be transformed. We don't have to live like that anymore. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Thank you. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, uh, first of all, Leah, thank you so much for always being able to verbalize what we are suffering and going through here. You make it so real. But the tragic truth is that the man be a real alcoholic, so they're telling us, okay, here for real alcoholic here. So what's going on here? We're in the chapter, there is a solution. Well, we haven't gotten to that yet, but they certainly have been trying to review and remind us and show us what we are, what we are up against. So these last couple pages, they're trying to, la one last time here, hammer it into our heads. What is wrong with us? that we have an allergy of the body, a physical craving develops if we ingest a binge food, and off we go. We're going to eat. We have to eat. But the bigger aspect of the disease, and, what's, and that's what they're really talking about here in these last couple of paragraphs, is our obsession of the mind, the insanity, the crazy thinking that we have that is also abnormal. We have an abnormal thinking process when it comes to food. And because of that, he has lost control. He passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. And 
I have a question in my book here. Is this true for me? The most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. Is this true for me? Yes. And I need to answer this question with a yes. If I'm a real compulsive overeater, I am. I am 100% powerless. And like Leah said, this is a spiritual problem. And I need a spiritual solution for this. I am powerless over that mental obsession, that blank spot. I have absolutely no willpower, determination, self-knowledge. None of that is strong enough against this obsession of the mind when my mind says it will be okay this time. Well, you can just restart tomorrow. That's what I am powerless over, that obsession of the mind. And when I admit that I am powerless here, that's step one. I've come to that conclusion. And what do I need? What's the solution? I need a power that's greater than me. Because God can do for me what I could never do for myself. He's the one that's more powerful than this crazy thinking. So ask yourself, is this true of me? That I have, that all my desire to stop drinking, all my willpower, all my, self, my determination, all my self-knowledge has, has been powerless against this? And if the answer is yes, You're a real compulsive overeater. Hang on here for another page because we do have a solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. I'm Christy and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, this paragraph is just packed full of information, of really, really good information. You know, it says in here that, you know, if the man be a real alcoholic and at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. Um, it doesn't say, you know, if the person occasionally indulges or if the person is, um, you know, overeats once in a while or is a heavy drinker or a heavy eater, um, overindulges on Thanksgiving maybe or other holidays. Um, you know, it's, it says if if the man be a real alcoholic, if the man be a real alcoholic. And um, what it says here is that if that's the case, um, then you, maybe like me, will pass into that state where the most powerful desire to stop was of absolutely no avail. And what got me there is um, that I just kept eating. You know, there wasn't any magic thing that anybody could say to me. You know, there wasn't anything that I could read. There wasn't any information that was presented to me. I had to just keep eating until I got to the point where I realized I was. I was a compulsive overeater. And if that be the case, um, the big book describes what that is, as Monica just said, you know, an allergy, an abnormal reaction for me to certain foods. Um, the obsession of the mind that's so eloquently outlined here, eloquently and tragically outlined here that I was going to continue. I was going to continue. I was going to continue. There was no end in sight. And so it didn't matter whether I said, you know, I'll stop as soon as I'm done with this box of donuts. I will stop as soon as I'm in a size 16 or an 18 or a 26 or a 28, or a 2x, or a 3x, or a 5x, I will stop, I will stop when I get to that point. I just kept lowering my standards until I realized there was no end in sight. There was no end in sight. There was no magic number or, you know, a, you know box of donuts that I was going to finally be done with. There weren't enough in the world for me. You know, there was no size that I was eventually going to get to that would make me stop. And it, and it didn't matter. It didn't, you know, my weight had nothing to do with it. You know, I'll stop and this insanity will stop. Well, when I stopped eating compulsively, the insanity was even worse. The insanity was even worse. I was crazy. I made myself absolutely crazy. And it wasn't until I realized there was no 
end in sight, that the most powerful desire to stop was of absolutely no avail because I couldn't. I couldn't stop and stay stopped. And, you know, that was, you know, that was the good news. That was the best place I could be. That was the best place I could be when I finally said, I can't stop. No matter what I do, no matter what line I draw, no matter what boundary, you know, I conjure up, there is no stopping this. It's a runaway train and, you know, it's going to be a tragic ending if I, um, if I don't get help, if I don't get help. And uh, I am grateful that I eventually got to that point because I could have continued forever. And with that, I will pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph before we move into the next one? Hi, it's Leanne from Florida. Leanne, go ahead. Hi, I just wanted to put a, a plug in here for the grace of God um, because I, um, I am a compulsive overeater, but my compulsive overeating morphed into anorexia and um, non-vomiting bulimia. And my whole life when I sought help for this disease, um, they told me, you need to learn how to eat all foods. You need to learn how to not be afraid of food. Here, try some of this, some of that. And in the hospital, they would give me sugary things and all kinds of stuff. And I would just get worse and worse and worse. And um, I'm just so grateful that God put me in the hands of OA, even though I was a horribly emaciated anorexic. My original problem was truly compulsive overeating and I had to get the allergy out of my body in order to be able to trust God and be able to see clearly to work the steps and um, it's just amazing like all this stuff you know I could not stop either and I couldn't stop doing the things I did to get rid of the food and I couldn't stop eating the food and then I had to get rid of it and then I'd eat it again and oh the hell and now that um I've come to understand the disease of compulsive overeating and the allergy of the body, which which um, promoted the obsession of my mind even more. Um, you know, I've been able to maintain a 40-pound weight gain in this program, and um, you know, to address the original problem, it was it was just God's grace that put me in the right hands, and I was able to start to get a, to get a grip on all that we just talked about and put a stop to it all and be able to handle my life in a normal-sized body. And um, I just wanted to say that, so thanks for letting me share. Pass. Thank you, Leanne. Marsha, will you please read that first paragraph on page 24, first full paragraph there in italics? Yes, good morning. I'm Marsha. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Wow. Um, I'm glad that I got to write a or read a paragraph that was in italics. Um, italics is, was very important back then because it was a little bit more expensive to print in italics than it was in normal print. So um, that means it's very important. This is an extremely important concept. Um, I have lost the power of choice in eating certain foods. Um, I cannot remember what they do to me. I only think about what they do for me. That is the mental obsession. That is the problem that I have. That, that is the peculiar mental twist that I have in my mind. If I could just put it down and walk away from it, then it wouldn't be a problem. The thing is, is I can't walk away from it. I can't fully put it down. I am without defense against that first compulsive bite. And when I am in the food, I cannot remember what it does to me. I can't remember the numbness and the lack of circulation in my legs. I can't remember... The, the being out of breath and, and, and the threats of, of diabetes or, or other physical illnesses that, that are coming. I can't remember, or, or at least I don't care. All I care about is what that food did for me, and that was to help me not feel bad, help me not feel 
anger, help me not feel sad, help me not feel anything. This is the insidiousness of the mental obsession. The mental obsession, when it goes up against my willpower, my mental obsession beats it into a bloody pulp every single time. Every time. My, my, my mental obsession kicks my willpower's butt every day. And it's on a daily basis, I have to, God gives me a gift of abstinence. God says here, today is your day to have an abstinent day. What do you want to do? And I choose abstinence today. Because this is my higher power who I never had in my life before. This is the solution. This is my solution for this obsession of the mind and this physical allergy is my higher power. My higher power removes this from me today if I let him. And I'm very grateful that I have this. I am very grateful to uh, have four years of abstinence under my belt, finally, after almost 20 years of being in this program. I am so grateful God has helped me to overcome this today. And that's all I have It's just 24 hours. That's all I have to worry about is the next 24 hours and eating sanely and healthfully in the way God wants me to eat. Um, there is a solution, and I love this book. I lo- the solution I've learned is not me. I'm the problem, and the solution is a power greater than me. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Marsha. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula Mashia. Sure, Paula, go ahead. Thank you. You know, there was a time before I and Paula recovered compulsive reader when I wasn't recovering and I'd read this and I would just cry. Is this it? Is this it? Today I can read this with you and I, I can see he has lost control. He uses the word twice. We read that the paragraph before. He has lost the power of choice and drink. You know, it's like you're driving in a car, and you're steering that car, and the brakes go. Honey, you can steer all you want. The car is going to go where it goes. You have lost control. It's done. It's done. And I want to go down to the bottom of the page we are not the page the, the paragraph we're going to scoot read there we are without to get defense against that first drink honey you got no breaks you ain't got nothing and that word we are without defense you got nothing to fight it with you got nothing to fight it with honey you took out the whole damn armory that you had everything available to you you took it out and you did the fight and hear the difference, and you lost. And you lost the fight. But that is where the turning point is, to find there is nothing else. Honey, the brakes are gone. The brakes are gone, and only one can restore them. And that is God himself. Thank you for allowing me to share and with that I pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Monica. Uh, Monica, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Again, this we're in the par- the uh, chapter. There is a solution here, and this, like this was said, this paragraph is all italicized. So, very, very, very important here. The big book is telling me here what my problem is, and I must understand what this is. And what is this? Lost the power. I am powerless. I do not have any power in the choice of drink. Absolutely none. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. A week or a month ago? How about the binge I had last night? And the next morning... I wake up and say, I'm done, I'm through, I'm never going to do this again. I've had it. And next thing I know, I'm on a binge again, and it's not even breakfast time. I couldn't remember the pain of last night. How miserable I felt. I was so stuffed. I couldn't move. I hurt all over. 
I couldn't sit. It hurt. I couldn't lay down. It hurt. And I was miserable. And I thought, why did I do this again? And here I am the next morning, and I'm doing it again. I can't remember that pain. That's some more of this mental obsession of our mind. This is another part of this insanity that we have, this abnormal thinking that we have. We have no memory. I'm powerless. I need a power that's greater than me. And how are we going to find that? It's by working these steps. And these steps are going to give you, are going to take you, are going to help you to develop a relationship with a power greater than you that does have memory and is all-powerful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. And Sharon, I heard you. Why don't you go ahead before we close up? This is Sharon. Thank you, Christy. Good morning. I'm Sharon, a recovered compulsive overeater. We are without defense against the first drink. Wow. You know, I always thought, all of, I always thought that it was my, my decision because I was thinking, oh, a little bit won't hurt. I thought it was that argument that allowed me to take that first bite. Because I said to myself over and over, that was the argument, that was the gate that allowed me to once again take that first bite. Surely, for sure, I I couldn't remember the pain. I couldn't remember the pain. All I could think about was the ease and comfort. I thought about that. But I thought it was my saying to myself, a little bit won't hurt. That was what got me to drink or to eat. But now what I'm being told is that there was no defense. The little bit was just what it took, but it would have been anything. You see, that's what allowed me to justify taking that bite. But the reality was, It didn't matter. I was going to take that bite anyway. I had no defense. I was going to take it anyway. It didn't matter. Because I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm not like normal people that can decide I'm going to take that bite or I'm not. I'm going to eat. Oh, oh, no, thank you. No, that's not me. I don't have that option. You see, I have no defense. There's nothing I can do. And until I accepted that, I couldn't recover. Because until I accepted that I had no defense, it wasn't my saying a little bit won't hurt. It wasn't any justification in my mind that I made for that first bite. That was all smoke and mirrors. The reality was I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop. There was nothing, nothing. The gates of hell could not stop me from taking that first bite. And until I accepted that in my innermost being, in my deepest places, until I accepted that I had no defense, nothing, no one, nothing could stop me, I would not, could not stop until I admitted I couldn't. And then, and then, I allowed the power that could stop me to come in. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Sharon. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Hoodie, will you please read A Vision for You? Certainly. Good morning, Christy. This is Hoodie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do and who is still sick. 
The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.